Honestly, I used to get a kick out of her silliness. I mean, it was fun to watch, but it was basically harmless, right? I don't feel that way anymore. This foolishness has had devastating results. First, the foolishness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> how do you... How do you... <laughs> <laughs> Slow down, everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> as long as you're having fun, Madam Vice President, look, she was charged with cleaning up the border. And how's that going? It is a disaster. And I believe a lot of it can be laid at her feet. You know, she was directly given the responsibility of leading the federal government's effort to take control of this situation. Look at it now, side by side, a foolish vice president and a horrible situation. There is a correlation. She does not have the ability to fix it. She actually doesn't have the ability or qualifications to be vice president. Kamala Harris was a diversity hire. This is the result when you think about things that don't matter before the things that do matter. Do you remember back in 2020, Joe Biden was in a box for some reasons. The, the beltway, the swamp told him first he had to pick a woman. I think it would be incredibly important for the for the Democratic ticket to have as the vice president uh, a woman. I cannot imagine that we have a Democratic ticket without a woman on it. A lot of capable, interesting candidates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You should pick a woman, I think, don't I, you? Yes. <laughs> yes. But that wasn't good enough. After George Floyd, it had to be not only a woman, but a woman of color. I think this is a moment uh, to put a woman of color on that ticket. 100 prominent black men said the urgency to pick a black woman has gone from something that should happen to something that has to happen. Yes, I think he needs to choose an African-American woman. Black women are the base of the Democratic Party. How silly, right? We didn't pick somebody who had the administrative ability or perhaps uh, the readiness to be president. No, we made it quite clear. They made it quite clear. It had to be a woman and it had to be a person of color. How are those aspects, those qualities, helping her get the job done. They aren't. And don't forget, Joe Biden gave her a very big job. Madam Vice President, thank you. I gave you a tough job and you're smiling, but there's no one better capable of trying to organize this. Place. Well, thank you, Mr. President, and for having the confidence in me. Hey, the photo op was fun. After that, it meant work, and she's not down with work. She loves the photo op, though. Hey, remember hanging around Joe Biden? Every time he came out, there she was. They really were quite a team. At one point, it started to look like she was perhaps a bodyguard or a Secret Service agent. She was there every step of the way until Afghanistan. After that fiasco, and Joe started to look like he might even be toxic, uh, Kamala was nowhere to be seen. She kind of went underground for a while. Joe, you can handle these questions on your own. First time she showed up, and this really underscored how little she had to offer the Situation Room. She was keeping a low profile in there, sitting right next to the president, but somehow burying her head in that memo in front of her. She did not want to be there, and she had very little to offer. Let's contrast all of this to Donald Trump. Hmm? Did he avoid the border issue because it was hard? Of course he didn't. He was he dove in head first. He tried to do the impossible. Everybody told him, don't build a wall. You can't build a wall. Huh? Right? 
tip of the spear. That is leadership. Where are we now? Well, they had to dismantle everything that Trump did. Trump derangement syndrome. They hated him that much that anything he did, even the good stuff, they had to wash their hands of. They had to dismantle it. Make no mistake, Donald Trump was right on the substance and even on the rhetoric about the border. Do you remember when he first declared for president uh, in June of 2015? About a third of his speech was about illegal immigration and the fake news seized on something they found offensive, but it was actually true. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. It's no joke. There are now reports emerging that there's bad things happening in these big groups. There are lots of great people in there, people desperate to become Americans. This is not on them. This is on the policies that encourage them to come here. And we are hearing reports of sexual assaults and attacks. You heard that there are men from Afghanistan coming here with child brides. Donald Trump was right, but it just sounded, well, it was too much truth and the mainstream media could not handle it. I wouldn't call it a dog whistle. I think it's an outright racist campaign. How can you succeed when you say things like that? Well, you can't, again, Gail, if the question is how can you become president, you can't by saying things like that. 14 million people he's smearing and maligning. Right. That's wrong. So, and we again, very, this very was the drumbeat. This is the day after he declared pretty much, and uh, that's all you heard. They said you can't be president if you say things like that. What, the truth? He was telling the truth. You can't be president? Hey, he was doing things. Don't forget these other politicians, they say things. He did things, and that is the key difference. Did this work when Kamala Harris tried it? Her words? I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. Right, right. <laughs> that should do it, huh? Um, by the way, we have, forgive me, screwed over so many of these people, particularly those from Haiti. Do you know we are sending them back to Haiti, even though most of them did not come from Haiti? They may have been born in Haiti, but some of them, most of them, haven't been there for many, many years. That's why there was outrage in Port-au-Prince. You brought us back here? This is where my grandfather came from. I live in Chile. I live in Argentina. This actually happened. Take a look at these ID cards uh, that were collected by authorities. You can see they're from Haiti, but they live in Chile. Um, a remarkable situation that has been totally, totally unreported. Now, uh, Joe Biden, by the way, at one point in his life <laughs> many years ago, spoke, uh, well, at least talked a big game, even a logical game about the border. No great country can say it is secure without being able to control its borders, period. What I would do about it is what I proposed to do about it almost 13 years ago. I would radically ramp up the number of border security guards we have, the use of electronic surveillance material we have to guard the border, 
and a number of what they call virtual fences. They're not literally fences, virtual fences from aerostat balloons on to where we, whereby we could control the border. Much, much better. 2007, he was running for president at the time. Hot air, okay, just words, and they were cheap. Doing something, that's hard, and he's not doing it. And let's face it, he's not capable of doing much at all. By the way, did you hear the federal government has acted decisively? They've removed those horses. The one thing in this uh, whole equation that was actually working, they gave in to the fake news. They gave in to their worst impulses, the fake news, the far left. These men were not hurting anybody. They weren't whipping anybody. They were doing their job, and it was remarkable. We heard today officially the horses will be removed from the Del Rio border sector. Look, Joe Biden wasn't vetted last year when he should have been. We were doing our best. We were telling you things that nobody else would touch. Now the fake news is finally, finally catching up. There is a lot more to learn about Joe Biden. We've got something great when we come back. Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can say is is that the fake news just doesn't get it. (laughs) They don't get it. They didn't get it, especially in 2020. You know, they should have been scrutinizing everything about Joe Biden's life, his record. They didn't. And now, essentially, well, it's too late. We've seen the results. (sighs) They have a duty, though, and I think we still do as well, to keep talking about this guy. Hey, There's all kinds of things in his background that deserve discussion and exploration. They can censor it. They can deny it. But it's there. And we will continue to go there in a little segment that we call. Do you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black? How could they ignore all that juicy material? Now, we didn't. And I still think it's important to talk about this, even though he's safely in the White House. So um, the hard drive, the laptop, it's real. The fake news is finally admitting it because one of their reporters wants to make money on a book. But the emails are legit, like this one sent to Tony Bobolinsky. 10% held by H. Hunter for the big guy. The big guy being, yes, Joe Biden. This is a real email, and it raised all kinds of very troubling questions about the Biden family and how Joe managed to live in all those mansions over the years. And how about this one? After they deny that uh, Joe and Hunter ever talked about business, some guy from Burisma is thanking Hunter Biden for setting up a meeting with his father, then the vice president of the United States, and all those pictures. Hunter smoking crack, Hunter doing crack here, Hunter doing all this stuff. I hate that he has a problem, and I hope he gets help. But again, if this were Donald Trump Jr. or Eric, you don't think that this would be a huge, huge story. So how did they get away with it? Well, one thing, I got to give Joe a little bit of credit in a weird way. When he blows his top, 
when he yells at people, whether it's a construction hard hat or uh, some reporter, it actually works. It actually intimidates people, and they back off. I saw it all the time. You did too. Um, when it would come up, and very rarely would it, would it come up, questions about Joe Biden's ethics, he flipped his lid. How was your role as vice president in, uh, in charge of policy in Ukraine and your son's job in Ukraine? How is that not a conflict of interest? It's not a conflict of interest. There's been no indication of any conflict of interest from Ukraine or anywhere else. Period. I'm not going to I'm not going to respond to that. Let's focus on the problem. Focus on this man, what he's doing that no president has ever done. No president gets awfully defensive, awfully quickly. Of course, there's a conflict of interest. To review, Joe Biden as vice president, part of his portfolio was Ukraine, Ukraine affairs. I would have picked another part of the world, but he picked Ukraine, where Hunter Biden had that big job. That's a big, big deal. You can't just point and yell, but he did, and it basically worked. How about Savannah Guthrie? A member of the fake news, to be sure, but she went there at least once. Has it occurred to you that there's a certain irony here that here the president is accused of and has acknowledged wanting to get information about your son Hunter and his dealings with Ukraine? And this process of impeachment has ensured that everyone knows about Hunter's dealings with Ukraine. That's a good thing. And no one's found anything wrong with his dealings with Ukraine, except they say it sets a bad image. Well, do you agree that it sets a bad yeah, image? And my son said that. Do you think it was wrong for him to take that position? No knowing that it was really because but, that but company it, wanted access to you. Well, that's not true. You're saying things you do not know what you're talking about. No one said that. Who said that? Well, don't Who you said think that? that? Don't you think that it's just one of those things where people think, well, that seems kind of sleazy? <laughs> that does seem kind of sleazy. And people were talking about it all the time. But Joe even denied that. Joe even denied that people were raising questions about this. And his reaction is always the same gets really angry, but actually it worked. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. And so how do you know? Here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with a foreign leader? trying to intimidate a foreign leader, if that's what happened. That appears what happened. You should be looking at Trump. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. This is uh, not the way a professional politician, a polished one, should be reacting, unless he has something to hide. But those antics, I think they worked, because the reporters were taking it. Uh, what were the anchors going to do? They saw that. And when they finally got to sit down with Joe for the big moment, like this guy, they weren't going to go there. They just, um, they were just happy to be there. It's now 2020 and you're the candidate of change. I, I wonder, after dreaming of that moment for more than three decades, what it was like. What was it like? He is a good looking guy. Um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Oh. Even guys who aren't that good looking, short guys like George Stephanopoulos uh, played the same game. What are the consequences of a victory by President Trump in 2020? 
He worked for the Democrats. He's still working for the Democrats as he gets paid $500,000 a year. Uh, let's see. This automaton from CBS News. Judge Amy Coney Barrett is on track to become the ninth U.S. Supreme Court justice. That would give the conservatives a 6-3 majority. If elected, would you move to add more justices to the Supreme Court? Could Donald Trump still win this? What do you think is the biggest domestic issue America faces? These aren't interviews. These are infomercials. And obviously, they want him to win. They're not doing their job. They're not vetting him. And that's key. Remember, look, I've chosen sides. I'm an opinion host. I'm a conservative. I'm pro-Trump. They claim to be neutral. They claim to be objective. And what resulted from their just phoning it in or actually covering up for them? I believe we can blame Afghanistan on these guys. I really do. I believe that we can blame the border crisis on the fake news. Yeah. It may have been great for their careers, but it was horrible, horrible for the country. All right. Something else about Joe Biden. Actually, his wife, uh, Dr. Jill Biden. Um, she's not a real doctor, by the way. Uh, Rand Paul is a real doctor. He is a physician. He is a medical doctor. But the New York Times this past weekend called him Mr. Rand Paul in a big profile. Mr. Rand Paul. They didn't mention that he graduated from medical school. Mr. Paul says this. Mr. Paul says that. Meanwhile, in the same paper, right around the same time, Dr. Jill Biden, who is not a real doctor, she, outside of a university setting, she should not be called a doctor. She has a, something or other in kindergarten management. Um, she gets the doctor treatment. Not fair. Look, I don't like prying into the personal lives of uh, public figures, but it kind of comes with the territory. They were all over the Trumps, the children, the wives, Melania. So we're going to talk about Jill a little bit. Uh, here she is at last summer's DNC. I have always loved the sounds of a classroom, the quiet that sparks with possibility just before students shuffle in, the murmur of ideas bouncing back and forth as we explore the world together the laughter and tiny moments of surprise you find in materials you've taught a million times. When I taught English here at Brandywine High School, I would spend my summer preparing for the school year about to start, filled with anticipation. Come on, everybody spends their summers not filled with anticipation about the fall and school. I don't care how much you love kids, okay? You're dreading it just a little bit, but whatever. Uh, yeah, all right, I'll take her at her word. But here's, uh, well, here's where things get uh, mythologized by the Bidens, how they met, again, from the DNC. When I met Jill, I knew. My brother said, there's this woman, you'll really like her, Joe. So I gave her a call, and she had a date that night. You said, um, do you think you could break your date? Oh, that's right. And, and, and what'd you do? <laughs> well, I called and uh, told the guy that I had a friend in from out of town and went out with Joe. I, I wasn't big on the, the whole date scene thing. But when I met Jill, I fell in love with her when I saw her. He 
said, I'd really like to see you again. So he, he's looking at his calendar and he's, oh, Thursday. No, no, I'm really busy. No, I'm busy Friday. How about tomorrow? And I thought, buddy, you just blew your cover. She's owned me since then. <laughs> All right. Cute story. Uh, but it's not true, according to Jill Biden's first husband, who was married to her in the early 1970s. His name is Bill Stevenson. He still lives in Delaware. He told the story. It was barely noticed last fall. Look, he wanted to set the record straight that he was married to Jill when Joe Biden moved in on her. I mean, big time. So you were friends with Joe Biden? Oh, yeah. Right before the election in 72, Jill, Joe, Neelia, and I were in his kitchen. How do you forget that? Stevenson says his first inkling something was up came when Jill refused to go with him to meet Bruce Springsteen, who was booked to appear at the Stone Balloon. He said, uh, Jill asked me to keep an eye on the boys. And I just thought to the back of my mind, hmm. One day, he says a man came into his bar and asked him to pay damages for a fender bender that involved Jill. He looks at me and he says, oh, she wasn't driving. I said, her beloved Corvette, she wasn't driving it? He goes, Senator Biden was driving it. And I went, what? My goodness gracious, look. You can still, if you like Joe Biden, you can still vote for him. Uh, we know that Donald Trump was married multiple times. Ronald Reagan was married twice, and things happen in relationships. But we should have known this, don't you think? It was censored. It was reduced. They had the algorithms that buried this story. Seems like a very nice guy. You can hear his story and still vote for Joe Biden. But people needed to know this. They combed through Donald Trump's divorce records, everything. But this, you never heard about. That's not right. Okay? Okay. Also, this is pretty weird. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died about a year ago, and there are all kinds of tributes out there about the one-year anniversary of her death. So here are some words of hers that the ACLU really liked, the ACLU, but they changed it. This is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but they changed what she said. The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a person's life to their well-being and dignity. When the government controls that decision for people, they are being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for their own choices. Now, what word do they change? Mother, woman, yes. You know, it's a birthing person now, right? They totally changed it. The real quote has controversial words like woman's life to her well-being. She, she, what is their problem with sex? They're trying to take that out of the equation. This is so crazy. Look, also, it's not nice to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, she never denied that she was a woman. She is not a bad word. You know who was really good to her in the end? Our guy. She just died? I didn't know that. I just, uh, you're telling me now for the first time. She led an amazing life. What else can you say? She was an amazing woman. Whether you agreed or not, she was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. I'm actually sad to hear that. I am sad to hear that. Thank you very much.
with the music. It was so beautiful. And he said exactly the right thing. And he didn't deprive her of her womanhood. I'll be right back. All those people under that bridge, a humanitarian crisis manufactured by the Biden administration. You think, um, well, you think there'd be more outrage from the left, right? There should be. They only got upset when the horses got involved. You saw these pictures. We've been evaluating them. Nobody was being whipped. This was actually very humane treatment. No one was being whipped. That is a fake news lie. And who pushes fake news lies besides the fake news? People like Al Sharpton. Yes, that race-baiting idiot. Actually, he's a pretty crafty character. He's uh, learned how to make a living, a very uh, lavish living, by weaponizing all this stuff. So he went down there to try to raise trouble, gave a speech about uh, how this is all racist and everything like that. Guess what? The people of Del Rio, Texas, most of whom are of Hispanic uh, ethnicity, they weren't having any of it. Out of Rio here. Nobody wants to hear your racist nonsense in Del Rio. As people You're a racist. Nobody this world. wants you in Watch Texas. The border Nobody wants you, you in Texas. Like Why are you not a voice for the children that have gotten this at the border? Where are your voices? Get out of the racism. You can get out of the racist supporters and the right wingers can scream all they want. I love those people. Al Sharpton is now part of the swamp. He used to be an insurgent. No, now he's one of them. And a real racist. Sorry, to boot. Uh, oh, here's another one. Maxine Waters. She was outraged by the fake news story as well and trying to keep it going. Uh, recently in the news for inciting that riot or trying to incite a riot in Minneapolis. I'm pissed. I'm unhappy. And I'm not just unhappy with the cowboys who were running down Haitians and using their reins to whip them. I'm happy with the administration. We are following the Trump policy. What we witness takes us back hundreds of years. What we witnessed was worse than what we witnessed in slavery. All right. I'm just happy it was raining on our silly press conference. It wasn't Worse than slavery is the opposite. These folks are trying to come into America. Slavery, horrible thing. I seem to remember from history that they were forced to come here, forced to come here. For her to make the comparison is very, very ugly, but that is what she does. Anyway, the fake news bandits have won because the horses, which were a pretty effective means of uh, keeping people out, are now gone. The secretary also conveyed to civil rights leaders earlier this morning that we would no longer be using horses in Del Rio. Uh, so that is something, a policy change that has been made in response. Now that's leadership, a policy change. The horses that didn't hurt anybody, that were actually being used quite effectively, no one was being whipped, they're getting rid of the horses. Wow, decisive leadership, huh? All these problems that they created, they created the Biden administration. And one of them, by the way, flying people back to Haiti is actually wrong. They should be flying them back to the countries where they came from. Many of these folks actually came from Chile. 
They were in Haiti. Many years ago, they migrated to Chile, and then they heard that Joe Biden had opened the borders, and then they made their trip up north here. But Joe has just sent them back to Haiti, trying to look like a tough guy. It really is sad. Meanwhile, when's the last time you heard anybody getting arrested for white supremacy, a white supremacy-related crime? Hmm? It's just a Democrat talking point, and they still won't give up on it. It's the most lethal terrorist uh, threat to our homeland uh, in recent years uh, is domestic terrorism. Domestic terrorism rooted in white supremacy. What we know from the intelligence community, one of the greatest threats to our national security is domestic terrorism manifested by white supremacists. White supremacy is, is the biggest bucket of concern when it comes to uh, domestic terrorism. Where is all the white supremacy? All the white supremacy-fueled terrorism. I haven't seen any, have you? I haven't heard about any. You think if it was happening, they'd be blowing it up? Of course they would. It's not happening. What is happening is good old-fashioned murders, but they're happening at a much higher rate. Last year, according to the FBI, nationwide, there was a 30% increase in homicide. Have anything to do with that silly Black Lives Matter summer? I think so. You know the answer. Black lives matter. 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 Of course, black lives matter. Not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says they only care and a black life is taken by a white cop. Black lives, though, do matter, including the life of 15-year-old Jamari Williams, shot and killed in Chicago's Chatham neighborhood on Tuesday afternoon. It happened outside a bank in a local strip mall. Chicago police say he had just left his high school when a black car approached and someone opened fire from inside. Williams was hit once in the chest and died. He was a beloved football player on the junior varsity team. Family members say he wanted to, quote, get his mother out of the hood by playing pro football someday, pro football. His classmates say gun violence in the area is unbearable. Heartbreaking that we're only four weeks in school and another student is gone. They call it the Simeon curse because we lose a student every year. And it's like, when is it gonna stop? Because we all know when I graduate, it's not gonna stop. Some of us haven't even hit 18 yet and we have to lose so many people. Wow, what a, what a testimony, I'm, I'm so sorry. Well, Jamari Williams, he was just 15 years old. We'll be right back. You're on the go and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. We want to go right to the border. That's Todd Benzman. He is a national security fellow for the Center for Immigration Studies. He is also the author of America's Covert Border War, the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. And Todd has been a source of some uh, very interesting information down there. Todd, uh, first of all, welcome. Wow, you're right on the Rio Grande. Um, Todd, what is the number one misperception that people have or have been told about what's going on down there right now? There's a couple of things. For one thing, uh, it's a misperception and misconception that these uh, Haitians are coming directly from earthquakes and presidential assassinations. They are 
or not. Uh, the vast majority of these people are coming from safe, relatively prosperous, comfortable, secure lives in Chile and Brazil. But they will come here and apply for political asylum on grounds that they can't uh, go back to Haiti. So uh, that is probably the number one uh, misperception in a, in a sense they will be applying for asylum under fraudulent pretenses. And hence they throw down their Chilean identity cards before they cross the river so that they don't, uh, they're not outed as having uh, been firmly settled somewhere else. The other thing that is a major misperception here is uh, there's a lot of attention about this camp. There's 15,000 people in this camp, but that's a typical Texas breakfast hour in along this border. People forget that we are in the midst of a mass migration crisis it's bringing in 50,000 people every single week and more, 200,000 a month. And I think that all of this attention on the camp is fine and everything, but when the camp goes away, we still have a major border crisis happening. And I don't want that to get lost. Understood. We have a major border crisis. The camp is very, very bad, of course, and uh, pretty intense. Well, let me understand, though, the folks have been living in Chile for a long time. Now, some of them are, as you know, being deported to Haiti, direct to Haiti. And some of them are like, look, we're no more Haitian than we are Chilean. We want to go back to Chile. Are they victims in all of this? I mean, look, when you embark on a journey and you're spending money, you're gambling that you're going to make, that everything's going to be all right, that you're not going to get killed along the way that you're not going to get kidnapped or also that you're not going to get deported. And I'm sorry, that's your gamble. That's your risk. You're entitled to take that risk. But that is nobody else's fault except for the individuals who have embarked on the journey. Now, do any of us blame them for embarking on this journey? In Chile, they live good lives. And like one of them told me, uh, you know, life in Chile is a thousand times better than Haiti. Uh, life in America is a million times better than either one of those places in their, in their minds. So, uh, you know, they're going to take that gamble. Uh, that's a human thing. But that's on them. Hey, one thing I saw recently, and I believe you're familiar with this, uh, there are a lot of trains that go through Central America and Mexico, and folks have been riding on top of these trains for a long time. This is, uh, I quite frankly thought most of the travel was happening on foot, but these trains are a major conduit, and I, I, it's unbelievable. It looks incredibly dangerous, and uh, but it's happening. Uh, it's true. A few months ago, I was in Costa Rica on the northern border with, with Nicaragua, and I was interviewing Haitians, actually, a lot of Haitians, but also Mauritanians and Senegalese and Bangladeshis. And I asked them, how are you getting past the Mexican National Guard which is stationed at 55 roadblocks inland from the Guatemalan border, it's supposed to be stopping these people. And one of the major ways that they were getting around was they were taking these La Bestias from Veracruz all the way up to uh, just the province south of Mexico City and then catching another train. And so there is a freight line that goes on from the Guatemalan border all the way here, but then after that, you, you can just catch a bus, go to the bus station. Uh, most of the people that were arriving for the, the camp, uh, Del Rio area, 
were just arriving on buses in Acuna, city of Acuna. Uh, one after another, I watched it happen. They would come off the buses and go straight to the water. Hey, finally, look, this is obviously, we know it's a crisis. Uh, my sense is the Biden administration just wanted to undo anything that Trump did. They hated them that much. The stuff that was working, they hated him so much that they got rid of the stuff that was working. And I think that's why we are where we are. And by the way, they want these folks to vote in a certain way. That's what they think is going to happen. You're there. You're on the ground. You've been studying this stuff for a long time. Am I wrong? Oh, you're completely right. However, uh, it, what's very interesting about this particular situation is that the Biden administration was so desperate to eliminate this canker sore, to get this thing off his lower lip, that he took a card from the Trump playbook, which was deportate, deportation, uh. all the way to Haiti. They've, they've shipped off about 2,000 of these folks to Haiti. The left wing of the Democratic Party is outraged. Yeah. They are absolutely pummeling him. But the reason he did it is because it works. He knew it works. Everybody there understands that that is a deterrent. A deterrent. I was on a deterrent. Oh, a I know. We, deterrent. A, deterrent. a deterrent. And that's so much of what Trump was doing, a deterrent. And they never factored that in, these folks. And uh, well, listen, uh, Todd, be safe down there. It's wild. You're a stone's throw from Mexico, literally. Todd Bensman, Check out his book, America's Covert Border War, the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. Thank you, sir, very much to be continued. And we will be right back. Thank you. Remember last summer, the summer of Black Lives Matter? You saw all the looting, all the rioting, all the assaults. Well, take a look at these numbers. Just about anybody who was arrested was let go. Take a look at that. Take it full, please. All the charges that were filed, they were dropped, essentially. 95% in Dallas, 95% in Philadelphia, Houston, Los Angeles, same story. Yet January 6th, January 6th, wow, so much more serious. People are facing 20 years in prison. Why is that? Why is there such a difference? Because in my estimation, those folks looked far more dangerous than anybody I saw on January 6th. I'd like to bring in Jim Hansen. He is the president of the Security Studies Group. He served in the U.S. Army Special Forces. And his group just compared the treatment of the January 6th protesters with the BLM Antifa folks and the prosecutions. Uh, Jim, welcome back. Why the discrepancy? Pure partisan political bias, Greg. I mean, they, they have decided that the political right is to be demonized and criminalized, and they're using all of the organs of state power to do so. So when you see what's happening to the, to the folks who are now you know, still in solitary confinement, 78 people still in pretrial confinement, and the charges that they're being given are outrageous, when you look at the, the fact that the charges, you know, the crimes they committed were essentially trespassing in Trump gear. So between what they did and what happened to by BLM and Antifa last year, there is no comparison in the scale and scope of violence and damage, yet it is the right that is being punished. So who would, what agency, what person would say, throw the book at these guys and let the other team off the hook? Is it coordinated by the Department of Justice? Is it just everybody, all these prosecutors in cities lean left? Is there any connective tissue here? 
Oh, absolutely. Over the past couple of decades, the left has taken over the permanent bureaucracy. You know, we call it the deep state. It's got a lot of names, but they're the people who are there as lifetime employees, unionized, unfireable, and they all lean far to the left. They are woke. They contribute to Democrat candidates at an over 90 percent rate as compared to anyone who donates to a Republican. So you've got a built-in group that is biased and willing to use their state power to advance the cause of wokeness and to ensure that, that those on the right aren't even able to exercise any dissent. It is pretty wild. We saw those people uh, showing up at the Kavanaugh hearing, showing up at uh, the Secretary of Agriculture's hearing. As long as it's a Trump appointee, you can do pretty much whatever you want. You can get arrested. You can get uh, escorted out. But the, the penalties was $35, $50 fines, a ticket, essentially, a ticket, a parking ticket for the same thing, if not worse, than what folks are doing on January 6th. And they're actually chilling dissent now, because if you look at the rally that happened this uh, weekend on Saturday, it was basically turned into nothing because no one with a brain wanted to go down and risk being scarfed up by the mass of feds who were down there for a trumped up set of charges. Hey, you, know, you can't they're going to take your phone data and the rest of it and use it against you. You know, uh, we're reminded uh, about the CHOP zones, the CHAZ zones, Minneapolis, Seattle. Uh, I, I, I call them terrorists, but they took over major portions of cities, a couple of blocks, and they set up their own rules and their own systems, and they did it by force. Um, that seems like uh, you could argue it's, uh, it's terrorism. You can argue it's pretty serious. They obstructed uh, a lot of lives. Whatever happened to these folks? Very few of them faced any charges. You know, there are some who they caught for assault and I believe one person uh, for rape. But basically, the Chaz Chop incident in Seattle was a month-long occupation of a six-square-block area, including government buildings. That's what insurrection is, Greg. That's exactly the definition of insurrection. And yet that got, got brushed under the rug, you know, and they just said, oh, well, you know, it's just protesters doing what they do. I'm sorry, the protesters there stepped way over the line, and they met every—and that was one of the— findings in our paper, they met every aspect of both domestic terrorism and insurrection, and yet they're being let free and facing virtually no charges. Well, Jim Hansen, we appreciate it very much. The president of the Security Studies Group uh, to be continued, sir, for sure. And thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you, everybody. Stand by for Stinchfield.